Let's turn to the Word of God this morning. I'm going to read from, uh, first of all, the first few verses of the Bible. And as I do these readings, I'd like you to uh, reflect on a couple of names that are used in these passages for God. That has something to do with family. And I'd like you to just think about that as I'm reading this. First of all, the first three verses of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then I'm going to read just a a couple verses that aren't up there right now. I'll get to Exodus 20 in a minute. And think again of the names of God here. In chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, verse 4, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heaven, the earth, and the heavens. And then we go to a very familiar uh, uh, chapter of the Bible, chapter 20 of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's the end of our reading this morning. May God bless his word to our hearts and lives. Dear family of God, there is nothing on earth that I believe a Christian values, and I think I speak for all Christians. I believe I speak for you. There's nothing on earth you value more than your family. There's, in other words, there's nothing, under your relationship with God in heaven, there's nothing more important to you than your family. Not, not your house, not your possessions, not your job, not your accomplishments, not even your health. Nothing really is more important than family. And that's the way it should be. When I was planning to come uh, last year, uh, the council had invited me to be here three months with you and to work with Reverend Sheringan. By by the way, I want to say it's so good to be with Reverend uh, Greg and Sarah because we were so close to them as a family. During the last seven years I was minister here, out of the 23 years I was here, we were very, very close to the Sheringans. It's so good to be with them. 
when the council called and said, would you please be here for three months and, and work with Reverend Sheringa, I was so eager to come. And so I started working on a few things. I called the secretaries up. They sent me all the lists of all the committees and the gems and everybody that was in, and I was going to review all those names. And I started working on four sermons. And the sermon I'm preaching this morning is really the first sermon of the four that I was going to do. So I had already started working on this sermon about a year and a quarter ago. And I already had the title in my mind. The title is Family Language. And what I mean by that is when you read the Bible, you're reading a book that's put in a family context. I did not mean to refer to the language itself, like Hebrew and Greek, that the Bible's written in. I mean the basis for the Bible, the context of the Bible, the inherent theme of the Bible, I believe, is family. And, and when I say family, I don't just mean your personal family. Personal families are a very important part of our family structure here on earth, and they're wonderful. I don't mean just uh, parents and children and extended family. I mean at least three other levels of family life. One, one other level would be your church. Your church is your family. So the Bible is talking about your church family. It's talking about God's universal church. Because you're a member of the family of God, meaning you're a member of his whole church in this world. And if you could only see that church, you would be amazed. Amazed. So many people not like us from different cultures. It's amazing, the family of God. And there's one more level that people often forget about, and that is all mankind is a family. We're all made in God's image. God told us in the New Testament to respect everyone. What that means is because we're all made in the image of God, as horrible and rotten as certain people might be in this world, they're still part of that universal family, and you are to respect them and pray for them. Now, what about family language in the Bible? Well, the first passage we read were the first verses of the Bible. And you can imagine, some 4,000 years ago, God gave his first written word to his people. I'm sure they already knew his name. I'm sure it was already used. But in that first verse of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the name that God gave of himself for us to use was in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word is Elohim. Now, in a way, that was kind of a generic name because all the uh, earth at that time spoke kind of a similar language. And the common name for any god in that culture was El, E-L. But God's first name was Elohim, and it meant the God who is greater than all. Or as the Bible sometimes uses the expression, God of hosts, God of hosts, God of all the hosts. And it refers to the greatness of God. In fact, it was great to see the uh, gems theme this morning that God is the greatest. Because that really is what that first name of God means and what we should very much take to heart. When we look at his creation, we see its beauty, its immensity, its smallness, the tiny particles that make up all of us. We say to God, thank you, Lord, for your great creation. You are a great God. You are Elohim. That's the first name of God. 
So far, it's hard to see what this has to do with family. The second name of God is found in that little verse I read in the second chapter of Genesis where it says, when the Lord God created the heavens and the earth. And you notice another name for God is added there. When the Lord God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is the Hebrew word in the first chapter of Genesis, and it's used 30 times in that chapter. In the second chapter, when God is referred to, he's referred to as the Lord, or Lord God. And you'll notice consistently throughout the Bible that these are the two major names for God. The word Lord, no matter where you find it in almost any Bible, any Protestant Bible I've ever read, is capitalized every time. And that is the special name of God for his people. It's a very personal name that God gives his people. His larger, generic, great name is Elohim, but his personal name is Lord. Now, there was a Hebrew word, and uh, I'm sure you know it. I'm sure some of you know what word I'm referring to that actually was used in the Hebrew language, and that was Yahweh, or Jehovah. The Hebrew people thought that was such a special, precious name that they didn't even dare pronounce it, and so they kind of translated it or moved it over into Lord, and they always capitalized it to show its importance. That name of God means his personal relationship with his people. His personal relationship. He's a personal God. He's not some generic God creating heavens and earth, and you just kind of passively see him, and see his greatness. He's a personal God who interacts with you. And so in Genesis chapter 2, you have God in a very particular way taking Adam and Eve, creating them out of the dust of the earth, bringing them together as husband and wife, God's personal gift to them, putting them in a garden, a beautiful place called the Garden of Eden, giving them instructions what to do to take care of the garden, to name the animals, and telling them that he is their Lord. He is binding himself to them. You know, think of it. Why did God create this world? Why did God create this universe? Did he create a universe so that there could be sticks and stones and materials just in an impersonal way so that he would be glorified? No, he didn't create the world for that reason. He created the world so that he could have a family. That's why God created the world. And we capture that very strongly in Genesis chapter 2 when he makes man in his image. He puts him in a garden. He gives him every blessing. He gives him the instructions they needed to live well with him. So our God is a God of family. He's a wonderful God. He's a God we serve with all our hearts. We serve him based on his first name, Elohim. He's the great God who created everything, and we extol his greatness. And the gems did a wonderful job of that this morning. But he's also the Lord God, meaning he's a personal God who binds himself to his people through his covenant and through his grace. Now we go to... um, Exodus chapter 20. And before that, I want to just tell you a little story uh, based on this concept of family and family being at the basis of, of God's word. It was about, I would say, a year and a half ago that I happened to be watching television. I didn't watch this program for any particular reason, but it happened to be a program on CNN 
about uh, orphanages in Russia. It was about that time that the relationship between the United States and Russia was getting pretty chilly, and Russia decided that they would ban all adoptions by American couples or families of Russian children. So up to that time, there had been a number of adoptions from Russia to the United States, and this was now banned. So CNN decided they'd send a team over to Russia, and they'd uh, look at these orphanages and see what the conditions were. Very interesting, uh, the, the people from CNN came to an orphanage, and they showed this place. It was, it was a reasonable-looking orphanage, and they showed the little children there. Most of them were very young children, between three and eight years old. And they allowed the United States interviewer to ask the children some questions. And so the basic question that this interviewer asked, and it all had to be translated from Russian into English and so on, the basic question was to the children, why are you here? And the children, uh, very cute, wonderful little children, they, they gave answers that went like this. I'm here because my parents don't want me. I'm here because my parents can't pay for me. I'm here because there are too many children in my family. One after another. And they, they, wanted, to, they wanted to be in a family. That's what struck me the most. These little children in this orphanage, they wanted to be put in a family. Well, in another part of the orphanage, there were older children. There, there were teenagers. And the interviewer went in there, and I remember one a girl in particular, a teenage girl, she presented herself very well. She spoke in Russian, so you couldn't understand her directly. But they asked her very similar sorts of questions, and she made an answer like this. She said, I used to want to be in a family, and now I don't anymore. But you could tell that she didn't really mean that. You could tell that she was doing what teenagers often do. They put up a wall because maybe they've been hurt at some point in their life, or they imagine they're going to get hurt again. So they construct that wall so it won't happen again. They start denying things that they really want more than anything else. And that's what that teenage girl was doing. She was constructing her wall. She wanted, I am sure, more than anything else to have a good family and be in family relationships. But she said, I don't want a family. It reminds me of a poem I read one time by a hard-bitten Englishman by the name of A.E. Hausman. He took a very cynical view of life. And he wrote a poem, I'm just going to repeat four lines of it. In in the poem, he uses words for British currency, pounds and guineas and crowns. And in this poem, he said, When I was one and twenty, I heard a wise man say, Give pounds and crowns and guineas, but not your heart away. That cynical, hard-bitten man, A.E. Hausman, was exactly wrong. The one great challenge in our life, put here on earth by a personal God, is to give our heart away. To God, first of all, and then to family. Whether it's your personal family, 
your church family, God's family in this world, or even humankind itself. Give your heart away. It's not easy. You're going to be hurt. That's inevitable because we're sinners. You're going to be hurt when you give your heart away. But don't put that wall up. That's our job as God's family here on earth. You know, there's so many things regarding that that are difficult. I've seen families that have adopted children, and, it's, and I admire that so much, and it's not worked out very well. Maybe those children have been seriously hurt when they've been young, and it's so difficult. But the parents want to give their heart away, and you are going to be hurt. If you think marriage is easy, you have another, you better have another thought coming. Because marriage is a challenge. You give your heart away, but there's going to be hurts between two people in that marriage. You want to have children. It's a wonderful thing to have children. I can't tell you how great it is and how I love my grandchildren. But there are going to be hurts at times. And you know, you want to find an easy answer. You want to speak up and say something. But it's not that easy. There's often you can't do it. You're better off keeping your mouth shut and hoping God works very hard in your family's life. But give your heart away. Well, what about God's commandments? Second passage I read was very familiar words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now notice throughout this passage, throughout the commandments, and I'm sure, I I never really noticed this before, I have to say that, of the thousands of times I've read the commandments, almost every time it mentions God, it mentions him as the Lord your God. The Lord your God. In other words, God is saying, I'm a personal God to you. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. I'm the personal God who is greater than all, and I can do everything. I can make these commandments possible in your life. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God certainly is the personal God who loved that group of people that much that he took them out of the land of slavery and he brought them to a new land. So it's about a very personal God, who now wants his family to live well, to get along together, to construct their life well in this difficult and often anti-family world we live in. And so he says, here's the way to do it. I'm giving you ten commands, and these commands all have a family basis. The first command, you shall have no other gods before me. What destroys families so often? What destroys them? Materialism destroys families. Almost selfishness, materialism, very very similar. It's a very destructive force. And when the New Testament talks about other gods, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount wants to point out to his people that there are other gods that people can worship, he says, God and mammon. You cannot serve both of them. And mammon is a word that means, really, materialism. Just accumulating things and thinking that the meaning of life lies in those things that you've accumulated and not in your relationships. That's the other God 
that people often serve, and they often do it out of extreme selfishness. It's me first when they do that. And that destroys families. It destroyed the Old Testament people Israel. Their materialism, their wanting to accumulate things like everybody else around them, and it drew their heart away from God, and it destroyed them. You shall have no other, no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath. And some of the newer versions say you shall not make for yourself an image. Now that, that to me, is one of the hardest commands to understand. But I believe God is meaning something like this, and when you really do understand it, it's very powerful. If the first commandment means this is God, and now you're shoving God out and replacing him with something else like materialism in your life, even though you have the shell of religion, you might come to church all the time, but you're really a materialist at heart. The second commandment is referring to the fact that you take God himself and you make an image out of him. You make him into something that he isn't. Now, the Old Testament people did it this way. When they came to the land of Canaan and they saw other gods around them like Asheroth and Baal and they saw how people worshipped these gods, bulls and oxen and sun and moon and stars, they thought that it would be a, a good idea to worship their god through those bulls and, and golden calves and so on. In other words, to keep their god but make him into an image. Now, now we... New Testament people are far too sophisticated for that. We don't have any images in that sense, like idols in that sense. But what we sometimes do is we make God into something he is really not. We make an image out of him, whether it's a cultural image. And how often isn't that done when you culturally feel God is just like you, not like maybe African Christians? A cultural image of God or even a spiritual image, where you want him spiritually to conform to your way of thinking. So that's the way you make God. And often it's very destructive, because you're taking God and you're being selective. You're taking the Bible, and you're saying, this is what I like in the Bible, and this is what I don't like. So I'm going to take what I like, and that's the way I'm going to be. You don't take the whole Bible. You don't put God in total context, so you have distorted images of him. Like maybe that he's only an angry God, only a judgmental God. Or, or the other side of the coin is very common in our culture, that he's only a God of love. I run into that a lot, by the way, uh, actually the time I spent in Florida, Bible studies I had there, that God is only a God of love. He must be saving everybody. He doesn't have a judgmental side at all. Well, that would eliminate completely the sacrificial work of Christ. Why would Christ have to come and die for us if God didn't pour his judgment on our sin? And we still see that judgment in many ways today. No, you take the complete picture of God that the Bible gives you, and you embrace it. And he says there, I'm a jealous God. He's jealous of who he truly is. He wants his people to worship him as he truly is. And if they do, he blesses them greatly. Two more commandments. I'm going to go. I'm not going to go through all ten. Uh, the third commandment says, "You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain." Have you ever? Have you children ever called people names? You know what you're doing to that person. You're devaluing. 
you're making, you're kind of saying you're not of much value to me. I'm going to call you a name. And when you do that to God, you're doing the very same thing. You're devaluing your God. In fact, in an extreme form, you're depersonalizing God. You're making him into something impersonal, and he's a personal God. Now, just to give you one example, in its most extreme form, this is what Hitler did to the Jews. He wouldn't say their names. They no longer had names. They were just a group of people like animals. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's destructive to families when that happens. It destroys families. And the final command I'm going to comment on is the fourth commandment. Uh, You shall observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And in New Testament times, it means Sunday. This is our day. And, And I think you can see very easily that this is a day that God wants his family to be together, to be a family and to especially worship him as a family, the God of their family, the father of their family. He wants his people to be as a family, to love each other, to pray for each other, to uphold each other. Well, this is the very nature of the word of God. I think a reason I wanted to preach this particular sermon here at this time is I felt so strongly the family of God during the time I've been going through with my illness. I felt prayers. I felt love. I felt the special grace of God's family here and elsewhere, and it's been so meaningful in my life. The very basis of the Bible is that it's a book written in family language. Think of the main things about the Bible. The names of God reveal the very character of God for his family. The commandments of God reveal the guidance that God gives to his family. The covenant of God lays the foundation for the family, the covenant of God. The Lord's Prayer gives the family a very personal avenue to pray to a Father in heaven. And the two sacraments that we have, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are family sacraments. They invite a child or a new Christian into God's family, and then the family sits down together and has a meal. Every time you read the Bible, think of almost every page of the Bible has something about the family character of our God. 